I am not a big game person. I know some of us here really enjoy playing games. I, I don't. But when my family gets together in Arizona every now and again, we almost always end up playing a few rounds of a game called Spoons. <laughs> a few people have played this game. It's kind of our tradition. So if you, don't, if you don't know this game, it goes like this. You set out spoons, like actual spoons from the drawer on the table, but one less than the number of people playing. Okay, so not everyone can have a spoon. Everyone gets four cards. The goal is to get four of a kind. Kind of look, you pass the cards around. Once somebody gets four of a kind, they can take a spoon. Once a spoon is taken, anybody can take a spoon, okay? Person left without a spoon is out. So on it goes. So those are the rules of the game. But then there's the culture of the game, which in my family involves a mad scramble for these spoons. We have techniques that make it even more of a scramble. There's the technique of you get your, get your four of a kind, you kind of sneak the spoon out and you wait for someone to notice. You just go for it and watch everybody go. We have swept the spoons off the table. We've put them in a circle so you can go and they go. They fly like that. And the most surprising people get competitive. My uh, deceased grandmother, well, she wasn't deceased at the time, just to clarify. <laughs> My grandma Marlene actually drew blood once or twice. She got that into the game. When you're trying to win this game and you know there's not enough spoons, it becomes a mad scramble to get a spoon. Because everyone knows there's not enough, no one wants to be the last, and other people become just obstacles to getting your spoon. Well, our gospel passage today involves another sort of mad scramble. This one, a scramble for seats at the table, the scramble to accumulate honor and avoid shame. The context is this post-synagogue lunch at a really important Pharisee's house. Pharisees are already important. This guy is important among the Pharisees. It's a big deal. So it's the Sabbath. You can imagine them all gathering at the synagogue and then walking over, talking to the, lead, to the leader's house. And all the important leaders with Jesus as this extra special guest. Although they didn't invite him to honor him. You'll note Luke says they invited him to carefully watch him. Is he going to mess up? We're going to have something against him. But in homes at this time, there was this U-shaped dining. So imagine, I mean, so I'm like at the U, and we had kind of like this, okay? So the most important person, the host, would be at the center, and then the next important people, then the next significant people, and so on, until the least important people were away at the end. It's this visible ranking of importance. The closest parallel that I can think of, something like Jane Austen or Downton Abbey, right? One must never seat Lady Dalrymple next to Mrs. Smith, right? Just think of that. Jesus seems to have been watching them literally do this mad scramble for seats. And these are all important people, and they are really determined someone's going to be the most important among them. On the Sabbath day, no less. I think we scramble for things too. For honor, for attention, for likes, social media likes. We may scramble for money or power or just control over things in our lives. Maybe comfort or security or love. Or maybe we scramble to just avoid pain and shame and discomfort and uncertainty. I know that feeling of the mad scramble, and I bet you do too. Well, in the midst of the mad scramble, theirs and ours, Jesus says, Hold on, guys. And we'll get to that in a second. 
But I want to step back today to even one step further back. Think of all these people scrambling and Jesus just sitting there watching. What allowed Jesus to avoid the scramble? What allowed him to be so unconcerned, culturally shaped as he was, unconcerned with his status and honor in that culture in which honor was everything? What set him free from that mad scramble? Jesus knew his worth. He knew where his worth came from and where it didn't. He knew he already had all the dignity and honor and security and love imaginable because his face was always turned toward the Father from whom all those things come. I think that set him free from the scramble. And I think that sets us free too. So my sermon theme today is very simple. Know your worth. You are made in the image of God. You are of infinite worth, and you are more loved than you can possibly imagine. God has crowned humanity with glory and honor apart from anything we do or don't do, anything we do or don't accumulate, just because we're human and loved and made in his image. Knowing our worth sets us free to live a better way than the mad scramble. It frees us to be humble and hospitable. And we're going to explore both of those things a bit further in our time this morning. So first, knowing our worth sets us free to be truly humble. These are Jesus' words to the guests that I'm focusing on here. And his first words are to the guests he observes, again, vying for the best spots. He, it's a parable. He is using the behavior he's observing right in front of him to make a larger point. And it's a bit like musical chairs. Because think about this, they have a certain number of seats. There's no little place cards, no little settings so you know where you sit. They didn't know who else was invited. They take a chair up high, someone more important comes, they risk all the seats being taken except for the one at the very end. That's, everyone would see it, that's pretty shameful. If you take the lowest place from the start, the only way to go is up. That's a very practical observation, right? Now, this could sound like false humility or just good strategy, right? Jesus is not saying, hey, here's how you get ahead. Pretend to be humble. Or be humble so that you'll get honor. He's making a spiritual point that the rest of Scripture makes. Verse 11 puts it very plainly. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's a familiar theme to us from other, other places in the Gospels, from the Old Testament, in the epistles, and even Luke itself. Think of the Magnificat. He has cast down the mighty and lifted up the lowly. This is something that God does. So it always begs the question, what does it mean to humble ourselves? We'll start with what it doesn't mean. It does not mean make yourself feel bad. It does not mean Pretend to be worse than you are, not like a false humility. It also isn't a posture of just letting people stomp on you without protest, although humility does inevitably come with suffering. Knowing our worth actually means we know when we're not being treated well, and it enables us to voice that it's not okay with us. I think humility means to actually have an accurate view of ourselves, to see ourselves clearly, our flaws and our gifts, and an awareness that we are dearly loved by the Lord and also deeply dependent on him. And that frees us to submit to him rather than doing whatever we want. 
It means not grasping at honor or money. Think about our Hebrews passage. Being content with what we have all, rather than always feeling like, ah, I deserve something more or something more than the rest of the people around me. So if you think of this table analogy again, I think humility means knowing your seat at the table, kind of knowing where you fit, and being just fine with that, and also just fine taking a lower seat on occasion. Again, think about Jane Austen. It's like you're seated next to Mrs. Smith, and you're just fine with that. You're enjoying getting to know her. That's humility. Pride is thinking you belong at a way higher spot than you actually do, or feeling good about yourself, because look at all the people who are below me. That's pride. And if that's where we get our sense of worth, thinking we're better than we are, or thinking that we're better than all these people below us, then humility will feel really threatening. So true humility is a posture in which we know our worth, that we're made in the image of God, totally loved, totally secure now, receiving from his hand and responding in obedience. So we don't need anything more. We have it now. Knowing our worth allows us to be content with our seat at the table rather than prideful or envious. And knowing our worth allows us to advocate if we're not being treated the way we ought to be. Knowing our worth sets us free for the type of humility that we see in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Knowing our worth, second point. There's only two points today. Kind of, two, you know, you have the guests and you have the host. Two points. Knowing our worth sets us free to be truly hospitable, which I think means to love other people instead of fearing them or using them. So Jesus, again, turns his attention from the guests to his host. And his words would have made everybody there extremely, extremely uncomfortable. Jesus is not very concerned with playing nice. The hosts, too, in this culture, vied for honor in the illustriousness of their guest list and their hospitality. Again, going back to Jane Austen or Downton Abbey, we have Lady Dalrymple. We don't need Mrs. Smith, right? This was a very quid pro quo, sort of transactional type of hospitality. There's an expectation that those invited, if I'm invited to a party, I better give a return invitation at some point that's equally illustrious. Well, Jesus says, invite people who bring you no honor and can never host you back. And in fact, the people he lists would have actually brought shame in that culture, social shame, to the host. Jesus says, mm -mm, they're in need. They're worthy. These are the people. True hospitality doesn't fear people as competition or need to have a transactional relationship or use people to enhance your own self in some way. So why is Jesus always so concerned about our guest lists? He's concerned about the guest lists a lot in the Gospels. He's probably concerned about our guest lists too. Why is it of such importance who we invite into our lives and our churches as well? Why is it important who we spend our time investing in and receiving from? Why is it important that we don't use people? Because our neighbor, too, is made in the image of God and of infinite worth and more loved than we can possibly, possibly imagine. Jesus challenges the system of that time, the culture of that time that made some lives worth a lot and some not. Some lives pure, others outcast, some honorable, some shameful. Jesus is always hanging out with the shameful people, 
not to get something from them, not because they thought it made him look good, because he knew they are worthy of love and crowned with glory and honor. Even the tax collectors, even the prostitutes, even those whose bodies and minds and hearts were broken beyond repair, but for the grace of God. Jesus sees them as worthy of love, and he sees they have great need and are worthy of care as people of infinite value. So when I read these verses about the feast and who ought to be invited, I'm always in my head, what if I actually did this? What if after church I went and found the guy who I know the, there's always a homeless person on the off-ramp on the way home? What if I invite him to lunch? What if, I, what if we did this as a church? Just, okay, come on in, everybody. But then I realize after that pretty soon that I'm still doing the very thing Jesus is warning against because I'm still thinking about how I can be good, how virtuous I would be if I did that. That can be a trap for us as individuals as well as communities, and especially a community like ours that seeks to do good in Highwood. What does it look like for us to serve and love people without using them? If we give to the poor to just make ourselves virtuous, if we seek to heal the broken so we can feel good as the healers, that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying true hospitality honors people. It doesn't use them. When we know our worth, we're free to actually love and honor people instead of using them because we know we're truly already equals. We already are loved the way we are. When we know and live out of that, our sense of security and worth in the Lord, that frees us to know better how to love our neighbors too. It overflows. Honoring our own worth helps us honor theirs too. So I think knowing our worth sets us free from that mad scramble. I just picture them all vying for seats and Jesus just sitting there. It frees us to do that and not have to enter into the madness. It frees us to live humbly without feeling ashamed of our vulnerability, our dependency, our humanity. It frees us to offer radical hospitality, to love our neighbors freely without feeling like we're going to be tainted by them or in competition with them or either superior or inferior to them. I get exhausted just saying all that. It frees us to trust that we're living in the Lord's favor and love regardless of anything going on out there. In Jesus' parable, we see this picture of what could be a truly hospitable, God-honoring community that flows from a people that know their worth. I'd like to turn in our remaining time towards some applications for our own community. How might knowing our worth, how might knowing our worth, that we're made in the image of God, of infinite worth, beloved, make us a true place of hospitality? So a few areas to consider. And in our applications, I know we have a few visitors among us today. I just I needed to know we've been walking through a hard season as a church. Our um, rector resigned not long ago after an investigation of misconduct. So some of these are very um, particular to our community today. I just want you to know that. So first, I think part of the call to us in this season is to humble ourselves before the Lord in this extended season of communal suffering. Jesus' humility is always tied to his suffering on our behalf. We've been suffering. We still are. I wonder. For me, it's so easy when I'm in pain to fight against it. I've got to make this go away. What if instead of fighting against the pain because it's so uncomfortable and scary, what would it be like to say, okay, this is real. 
and ask God what he's up to in it. Lord, we need you. We don't know the way forward. We humble ourselves before you. We are not too good to suffer. And we are safe to suffer. Weird as that is. I think we're invited to reflect in this time. Are there ways that as a community over the years, we may have felt pride instead of humility? Are there ways that maybe we've thought ourselves, our community, better than the ones around us? And I confess, I do think this has been part of our church culture at times. It's been part of me at times. South African mystic Andrew Murray says, two things are needed. Do what God says is your work. Humble yourself. Trust him to do what he says is his work. He will exalt you. We are safe to be humble in this time. Safe to take a look. Safe to be real about who we are. The good and the not so good. We are safe because we're made in the image of God. We are of infinite worth. And we are infinitely loved now. Second application is just this question. Who have we considered worthy of care and honor in our community? Jay Greener is made in the image of God and of infinite worth and infinitely loved. And so is every single person listed in that report. And the many more, quite frankly, who could have been. Who have we honored? Who have we cherished? Hebrews instructs us to consider those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. When an image bearer is mistreated or abused, those actions violate the worth of both the victim and the one who mistreats them. It violates both. Those actions violate the sanctity and the hospitality Jesus calls us to in the kingdom. There are people in our community and people who used to be part of our community who were mistreated and, yes, even abused when they should have been cherished and honored and cared for. The Father weeps over that. Will we? As we move forward together, I pray we will know our worth and know in the depths of our soul that every human being who walks through our doors, female and male, black, brown, Asian, white, old and young, of whatever tribe or tongue or nation or socioeconomic status or even political party, everyone who walks in, whatever their body looks like or how it works, every human being who walks through that door is made in the image of God and of infinite worth, and so am I, and so are you. May our community forevermore be marked by radical honor, care, and hospitality. May we never forget that we are worthy of care, and so is our neighbor. Third and last is simply this. God will take care of us. 
First Peter makes this application directly. He talks about humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. We take care of the things we care about. When Eric and I were redoing our kitchen a few years back, you know, one of the big decisions is what sink to get in the kitchen. And I fell in love with this white cast iron sink that is completely impractical for someone as haphazard as me, but it was beautiful, and we got it. It is very fiddly. Anytime someone comes to take care of the dog or the kids or the house or whatever, I have to have a special section on Amanda's sink baby. It is somewhat high maintenance, but it's worth it to me. So if even I, haphazard as I am, can take care of a sink I like, how much more will God take care of you and me and us together who are made in his image and of infinite worth and already more loved than we can possibly imagine? Let us pray. Oh Lord, in prayer, we humble ourselves to you. We say you are our God and we are your people. We are not God. We are not in charge. And we confess so often we try to be, or we think we should be. I do. <laughs> we pour out our hearts to you. Things we've heard in the sermon that, I don't know, I don't know what responses we're having together, but we're having responses. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you can tend to each heart Show us our worth, O oh Lord. May our knowledge of our worth, of your love, make us safe to be humble, to be hospitable, to rejoice, to repent. Do your work in our midst, we pray. Help us to cast all our cares on you because of your great care for us. And in your name we pray. Amen.